0: We are going to be in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, first chapter. Okay, and then I want to start the message this morning by reading to you some excerpts from a letter to the editor uh, written in a newspaper, published in a newspaper. Some of you might remember what those were, newspapers, before everything was online, Um, This was written to the editor of the Daily Courier, uh, which is in Forest City, North Carolina. The date of this letter is September 22nd, 2001. So those of you who are old enough to remember the events of September 11th, 2001, this letter was written some 11 days later. To the editor... I'm in my 30s, but I've lived long enough to see a lot of pain and senseless tragedy in life. A prime example has been the recent terror attacks in New York and Washington, D.C. As I try to come to grips with the catastrophe, I am beginning to question the worldview I acquired while attending public school. I'm not finding reasonable answers to questions that have come to the forefront of my mind since terrorists brutally attacked our country. My first question pertains to human dignity and worth. Why do human beings have worth, and where did they get it? Our nation is outraged at the senseless death of thousands of Americans, but what is it that makes us lament the loss? My textbooks explained that the appearance of life in the universe came about by time and chance, which in turn changed single-cell organisms into complex human beings. If the origin of human life is the result of a chance mutation in the last several billion years, where does human worth come from? Scientifically, the world trade victims lost out in the struggle for survival. End of story. Why does my heart still grieve for the dead and their families? It was an unquestioned assumption in all my science classes that nothing exists except natural phenomena. On what basis do I denounce the deeds of terrorists as evil if there is no higher power? The following words from respected British evolutionist and author Richard Dawkins only serve to shake my confidence in finding satisfying answers in naturalism. Naturalism is the view that only natural phenomena exist. Mr. Dawkins speaks about the logical consequences of this view in his book, River Out of Eden, when he says, quote, In a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is, and we dance to its music." Bradley Mast, Mooresboro, North Carolina. Bradley raises an excellent question. Do you have worth? Do I have worth? We like to think we do. I think most people assume that their lives actually matter But is that the truth? Is there actual meaning and purpose behind human existence? Or should we believe what Dr. Dawkins and many others like him, highly educated, highly influential people who say that, no, the universe has no design, no purpose, And we are simply and only the result of blind physical forces. This morning I'd like to answer Bradley's question, which may sound like a really arrogant thing to do. But the point of this series that we are in is that Jesus told us there is such a thing as truth. Truth that we can put our trust in. Truth that is trustworthy. There is truth we can believe. There is truth we should believe in order to be free, to have life, to experience peace. According to Jesus, truth exists because God exists. God is real. God has answered Bradley's question, and so what I want to do this morning is point you to God's answer according to Jesus, and I want to give you some encouragement to believe God's answer. And if this sounds, you know, just, well, that's really philosophical, that's disconnected from real life, I want you to take a look at some pictures I took a few weeks ago across the street at Thomas Jefferson Middle School. These were some signs posted out front in front of and and they were posted in front of middle schools and high schools all throughout our area they are part of a campaign to combat teen suicide so notice what some of them say there is always hope dwell on the beauty of life your life matters Now, I want to be clear that I totally agree with the message on these signs, and I am enthusiastically in favor of preventing teen suicide. But there's a problem. There's a big problem. Because the message on these signs, as Bradley's letter points out, is contrary to the dominant view of human life that's being taught in textbooks used by these very same schools. So which viewpoint are the students supposed to believe? The one represented in the signs that says your life matters, there's always hope, dwell on life's beauty, or are they to believe the message that's in their textbooks? Now you're just a random, unintended, unplanned outcome of natural phenomena. Period. See this 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 issue of human worth is not simply an issue when some tragedy strikes or some terrorist attack and thousands of people die. You know that's when it makes the newspaper. But it's a tra- it's a it's an issue every single day when even just one person dies. Or even just one teenager is feeling depressed and hopeless. This is an issue whenever a woman finds out she's pregnant and she doesn't want to be and she's wondering what to do. This is an issue when a child is born with a mental or physical disability. This is an issue when life-saving medical treatments are really expensive. And somebody has to make the decision if it's worth it. And this is an issue every day when you and I interact with other people. Do human beings matter? Do we have value? If so, why? Well, here's God's answer that, as you will see, Jesus himself affirmed. Yes, you matter. Yes, I matter. Yes, all humans matter because we bear our Maker's image. So now look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our, I- <coughs> our image, in our likeness So in the creation account there in in Genesis 1, this is the high point. After creating the world, after creating the plants, the trees, and all the various creatures, God creates humanity. And verse uh, 27 emphasizes three details about our creation. First, God created us intentionally. Intentionally. He planned to do it. That's the whole point of let us make mankind in our image. It's His plan. So we didn't just happen. Second detail, we were created in His image. That's emphasized. And third detail, we were created male and female. And today, Every one of those ideas is vehemently disputed, every single one of them. Powerful voices say, no, we were not created by God intentionally or otherwise. No, we do not bear his image. We're just like every other animal, maybe a little smarter than a dolphin, maybe not, who knows. And no, we were not created male and female There's a whole spectrum of gender options, and you get to choose whatever you want to be. But the Bible says about as clearly as it can be said, God made us, he made us male and female, and he made us in his image. And if the Bible is right about this, then you and I and every other human being We have incredible value. Incredible value that has absolutely nothing to do with our appearance, with our abilities, with our achievements. Now, when you look in the mirror, well, you might not like what you see. You might have deep doubts about your value. But God's Word says otherwise. All of us, every single one of us, whether male or female, regardless of skin color, regardless of ethnic background, regardless of what your parents were like, or what family tree you came from, regardless of what you look like, regardless of what you're able to do or not do, we all have the same incredible value because we all bear God's image. Jesus said, he said God cares far more about us than he does about the birds of the air and the flowers in the field. And this is the reason why. Because humanity alone is made in God's image. Now, people have wondered, rightly, and they've wondered a great deal, about what exactly this means. What exactly does it mean to be made in God's image? So, you know, we've we've tried to come up with some answers to that. Some say, well, it's about certain capacities we have. Uh, we have intellect, emotion, and will. Eh, seems like some animals have that. Not sure that's right. Uh, Some say it means having a capacity for relationship. God's relational. He made us to be relational. I believe it's somehow connected to the mandate God gave us to rule over the world because that's what comes right afterward. He made us in His image. He made us as His image so that we could govern the earth as His representatives. But whatever it specifically means, because the Bible doesn't define the image of God specifically, it just says we have it. We have it. And, it. and that's still true today, even though humanity has rebelled and sinned, fallen into sin. And, you know, it's an amazing thing to think about. You might think that whatever, uh, whatever the image of God is, you know, because we all know deep down inside, we all know what miserable creatures we can be. And we all know, sadly, about what horrible, horrible things humans are capable of. So you might think, whatever the image of God is, we lost it a long time ago. But that's not so. The Bible says it's not so. Look at Genesis 9, verses 5 and 6. Now, this takes place hundreds of years after humanity fell into sin, and this takes place after... God sent a flood to destroy humanity because of our wickedness, and, uh, he, but he preserved Noah and his family. And God says this to Noah after the flood, and for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being too, I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. Go to the New Testament. book of James says something very similar. James chapter 3, verse 9. It's talking here about the tongue. Our speech it says, With the tongue we bless, we bless our Lord and Father. We get together like this, and we sing these praise songs, and we're just praising God. He's so great. And then with that same tongue, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. One of my favorite understatements in all of the Bible, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. So, look at it. These two passages tell us not only do we still bear God's image, it also tells us, they tell us why it matters. It matters because it's supposed to impact the way we treat other human beings made in His image. The fact that every human being bears God's image, no matter how fallen, no matter how messed up, we ought to value every human life you and i never meet eyes with anyone who doesn't matter we never meet eyes with someone who does not matter now that's not saying that if someone does terrible things they shouldn't be held accountable like that passage in genesis 9 says exactly the opposite they should be held accountable however It means everyone is to be treated with justice and respect. All human life should be treated with respect because we are all in God's image. The image of God is who you are. The image of God is why you matter. But of course, we've all been told not to believe this. As Bradley's letter to the editor pointed out, our school textbooks, our science classes tell us a very different story. So do our museums. So do our nature programs on TV, our public universities, numerous professors, scientists, and other intellectuals, they all assure us confidently that we just happened. We are simply the result of undirected, unplanned, unguided natural processes over billions of years. And to repeat the words of Richard Dawkins, there's no design, there's no purpose, there's no good, there's no evil, there's nothing but blind indifference. And about people who believe in creation, you know, like me, Dr. Dawkins says this, quote, they believe this, (laughs) they believe this because they rate, they value a particular bronze age myth more highly than all the scientific evidence in the world. It's only one. Genesis is only one of literally thousands of such myths from around the world. But it happened by a series of historical accidents to become enshrined in a book. Genesis. Is that what Genesis is? Is it simply one of thousands of creation myths? And the only reason anybody takes it seriously is because a series because of a series of historical accidents is that it can any intelligent educated honest person truly regard genesis as trustworthy can we believe it when it says we are created in the image of god in spite of what so many textbooks and scientists and educated people are saying. That's exactly what I'm going to encourage you to do. To do that. To take it seriously. I'm going to give you some reasons to trust Genesis instead of Dr. Dawkins. And I, I'm not picking on him. His view, and, and the view of so many who hold it, And it might sound like I'm attacking him. I'm really not. I'm actually responding to his attack. Because in lectures and articles and books like The God Delusion, The God Delusion, he claims to represent all right-thinking, smart, intelligent, educated people. And he ridicules the Bible and he insists that we are not made in God's image. Well, there's a few reasons that I'm going to give you why I choose to believe Genesis, to take it seriously, rather than to trust Dr. Dawkins on the issue of human origins. So here we go. Reason number one, Dr. Dawkins wasn't there. (laughs) He wasn't there when humans came into existence. Now, Okay, that might sound like I'm trying to be cute or snarky or something. I'm really not. All I'm doing is pointing out that claiming to have scientific evidence of how human beings came into existence is contrary to the way science actually functions. Okay, because according to all textbook definitions, science is about what we observe and what we can experiment and reproduce, right? The problem is nobody was there when humanity came to ex- into existence, so nobody was there to observe it. So when Dr. Dawkins says that people like me who believe in Genesis, we believe that in spite of, quote, all the scientific evidence in the world, well, at the very least, he's making a major overstatement. Why? Because scientific evidence is observational evidence. You know, like when Mount St. Helens blew up, and there were scientists all over the place who were watching and measuring and, and testing and experimenting. But you can't have observational evidence about a past event, whatever it is i just talk about the origin of humanity. Any, any past event where nobody was there to observe it. And Dr. Dawkins knows this because I've heard him say, nobody knows how life came into existence. So apparently, all the scientific evidence in the world can't answer that question. He said so. So the very best you can do with any past historical, but no, not historical, because history has to do with writing down what happened if you saw it. And a past unobserved event, the best you can do is look at the evidence we have in the present and then make educated guesses about what happened. But see, that's a very different thing from observational science. So let me just give you a dumb little illustration It's not in the notes, Greg, so, you you know, just have to listen. (laughs) Um, So imagine there's a a, a teenage guy, or girl, doesn't matter, they come home, and uh, they're taking a science class, and it's cool, they're loving it, and they come home, and uh, they go in the bathroom, and they find that the bathtub is full of water. And they notice the spigot is dripping like one drip every 15 seconds. And they think, man, this is a perfect opportunity to put in practice what I'm learning in my class. I'm going to figure out how long it took for this bathtub to fill up with water. And I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to assume it started empty and I'm going to assume that the rate of the drips has not changed and I can measure the drops and how often they drip and how much water's in there and I can know how long it took for this to fill up. And then they find a note written by dad that said, don't drain the tub. I filled it up because I'm working on it and I'm checking for a leak. I'm at the hardware store. I'll be home in just a few minutes. So the assumption that it was empty and the assumption that the rate of filling never changed end up not being true. See, that's the problem with looking at present day evidence and extrapolating and making educated guesses about the past. They could be wrong because you have to assume some things that you can't know whether they're true or not. So, what Dr. Dawkins actually believes is not something he's observed or any other scientist has observed. What they believe is a different story a different explanation of the past, but they weren't there to observe it. Genesis, on the other hand, claims to be eyewitness testimony, eyewitness testimony from the one observer who was actually there. So that's one reason. Reason number two, Dr. Dawkins' philosophy is seriously flawed. If you look carefully at his arguments you discover that many of his arguments are not actually scientific at all. They're philosophical. He's doing philosophy, not science. In other words, they're not based on observation. They're not based on an experiment. They're based on unprovable beliefs about the nature of reality. For example, when he says that the universe consists of blind physical forces, that's all there is, blind physical forces without rhyme or reason or justice, he's doing philosophy. He's not doing science. Those are philosophical statements. But his philosophy has some serious flaws. He thinks we're all just unintended, unplanned, unguided collections of molecules. That's all we are. In fact, i got a great quote on this. This isn't in the notes either, Greg. This is from his book, The God Delusion. Okay? Quote. Think about it. On one planet, and possibly only one planet in the entire universe, molecules that would normally make nothing more complicated than a chunk of rock, gather themselves together. Gather themselves together into chunks of matter of such staggering complexity that they're capable of running, jumping, swimming, flying, seeing, hearing, etc. Capable, in some cases, of thinking and feeling and falling in love with other chunks of complicated matter. So, we're just unintended collections of molecules. He just said it. You're just an unintended chunk of matter. Which doesn't matter. How can an unintended collection of molecules think? And how can it possibly come to know the truth about anything about the nature of reality he says in one place there's another quote the enlightenment you know that historical event where we got all scientific the enlightenment is under threat by ignorant people like me the enlightenment is under threat so is reason so is truth so is science especially in the schools of america Okay, so follow this, okay? Follow this. He says he believes in reason. He says he believes in truth. He believes that creationists are wrong, but he also says the universe is one of only blind physical forces. In which case, there is no such thing as truth. There's no such thing as reason. There's no such thing as right or wrong. He said it himself. Why? Because those things aren't physical forces. Reason is not a physical force. Reason is not a property of matter. So if those things exist, reason, etc., then the universe is not what he says it is. That's a huge contradiction. Third reason, and this is by far and away the most important, to trust Genesis over Dawkins and company. Jesus considered Genesis... Trustworthy. Jesus considered Genesis trustworthy. Say, where? Glad you asked. Let me show you. Matthew 19. Jesus is asked a question, and it's a big one, about divorce. Very controversial issue, even then. How does Jesus answer the question? How does he attempt to settle the matter? By appealing to Genesis So chapter four or no, chapter 19, verse four. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female and said, "For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so they're no longer two, but one flesh. therefore. What God has joined together, let no one separate. Do you see the force of this? Do you see how he's attempting to settle the issue and answer the question? He's teaching about a very serious, a very practical issue. And he's basing his instruction explicitly on the creation account in Genesis. But if that account is not true, his teaching has no force. He clearly believes it's true. Which means, which means the issue here is not simply Genesis versus Dr. Dawkins. It's Jesus versus Dr. Dawkins. One says... Genesis is true the other says no it's not one says you're created in God's image therefore you have infinite worth the other says no you're not and no you don't one says he's the way the truth and the life the other one says he knows much better about what's true One says he can forgive your sins and connect you to the God who made you. The other says, I want to free you from this false belief and show you that your life has no real purpose in a universe of blind, pitiless indifference. Whom are you going to trust? Well, I'll tell you who I'm going with, if you haven't guessed. I'm going with Jesus. Why? Now, parents, it's important you be able to answer these questions. Why are we going with Jesus? Well, because according to historical documents that go all the way back to the first century, Historical, reliable. Document. Don't let anybody tell you. You know, sometimes somebody say, "Wow, there's no proof Jesus even existed." That is such a bunch of garbage. No reputable historian would ever say that. According to historical documents, eyewitness accounts, Jesus performed miracles. He transformed lives, and he rose from the dead. And because of what he did and what he said, I can look you in the eye with confidence and say, you matter. You have great worth. You are precious to the God who made you. And you can look in each other's eyes and say the same thing. And parents, you can look in the eyes of your children and you can tell them, You matter. You matter to God because you bear His image. And your worth has nothing to do with how you look. It has nothing to do with what you can do or what you can't do. Your worth comes from who you are as a bearer of God's image. And Jesus came to connect you to your Maker in spite of all your mistakes, in spite of the worst wrongs you have ever done, Jesus died to take the justice of God upon Himself so that we would never have to experience it. He died to connect you to your Maker. He died to forgive anyone. Anyone anyone absolutely anyone who will put their trust in him and say lord jesus do it for me do it for me through jesus you can know the one whose image you bear think about that let's pray Father, we're, we're living in a world that's going crazy because so much of the world is disconnected from You. And Lord, there are people around us every day. There are people probably in this room who feel worthless, who feel hopeless. Father, will You open up their eyes to see and listen to You to listen to Jesus who came to die for us because You made us in Your image and You value Your image and You want us to delight in the glory of Jesus and experience what it means to be valued by the God who made us. Oh Lord, if there's anyone here who's not yet able to to affirm that, to hold on to that. Lord, will You help them? Will You help them hear Your invitation to come to You, to receive Your forgiveness, to be welcomed with open arms, to accept the forgiveness, and then live out the purpose You made us to experience. Lord, will You help us? Will You help us encourage one another? Will You help us share the good news? with those who either haven't heard it or haven't believed it. Help us do this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.